Oh good, you're back. Here's part two. It's funny, I, I mean, again, and I, and I say, you know, carrying mine, um, you know, a lot of those designs that you talked about before this, the, you know, the idea of the camo and the skulls and everything else, it used to be that if, if I were to pull that out, uh, you know, friends or, or my family would be like, oh, you carry a knife. But when I carry, uh, when I pull out my, uh, uh, the James brand knife, you, you, the first thing they say is like, oh, that's a really interesting, cool product. What is that? So which it's just a right. lot about the design, right? It's not, it's not, yes. oh, you have a knife on you, you know, it's, uh, it's, right. it happens every time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, we really like, I love that story because that was, you know, that is a, a goal for us is for, you know, the object should be interesting and valuable in its own right. Uh, hopefully it's not scary or, right. you know, you, know it, it's, you can talk about the object and then you can, you know, and at that conversation, the answer to those questions is a reflection of your personal values and choices. And then you get the sort of the added benefit of that. It's, it's a very practical, very useful, item like we make really good stuff but yeah. the, the actual expression uh, may be the you know the most important part of it and yeah. you know that that difference between you pulling out a knife with skulls and camo on it and the reaction versus you, know, you pulling out the tiny swiss army knife that you have on your keychain uh, right. that no one's gonna like you know bat an eye about but it, it's kind of the same thing and you can use them in the same ways but the actual the details the positioning the size make those two things read so differently yeah um, oh, so, it's, it's so true yeah yeah the only the only uh, the only the only people that didn't get that were uh, the security of madison square garden i was very upset about that yeah they have, to, yeah they have to get better at that but they did take away my first james brand knife so i had to get another one but i don't think they were even going to give me five seconds to sort of explain the difference or whatever the case was so but, uh, but, but you're absolutely right i mean i do i really do feel like it's in some ways like a watch like it's something that you have is like uh that you know something that's part of your wardrobe and it's it's been great um do you think so we, we've touched about this a lot but has, is there anything else about the everyday category that you feel like changed over the past few years and impacted your business or is it just because it's is it just getting bigger and really this emphasis on on, on really sort of everyday activities yeah i mean i think there i mean the biggest thing that has changed is that other people have i think also seen the opportunity and entered the space which is good i mean we you know when we started this and really started thinking about it we kind of had to have the the conversation you know with ourselves that hey you're in the category building business now um so you know you have to be like that that's harder than doing a lot of other things so like success to us looks like actually building this new category that kind of doesn't exist it's more of a you know it doesn't exist from a business perspective or, uh, you know, a media perspective or a distribution perspective right now. Um, but this idea that like there is a category called everyday carry and that there are multiple brands that are in there and, you know, that they're making sort of this suite of products that include, you know, knives and pens and other things that sort of help you get throughout your day. I think that is, you know, that is really important to us. Um, yeah. Yeah. We do a lot of work with Huckberry. Huckberry was one of our very first, maybe the first retail partner, you know, sort of our kind of a part of like wholesale partner. Um, and there are people on the Huckberry team, there are EDC buyers. And so I have a business card in my office and I keep it taped up that, you know, has a person's name on it and says, 
you know, at EDC buyer. And that to me is, was really important because it was the first time that we'd seen sort of a reflection back, um, you know, from the wholesale market of, of this actually being a category that is actually like sort of worthwhile of having a buyer right. versus like, you know, knife buyer or accessory buyer. Yeah. And so that to me was like this metric of success, like, Hey, we're doing the right thing. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm very interested in like building this category and sort of making it into, you know, sort of combining like the EDC world has been like very gear focused, like really, really nerdy. Um, yeah, exactly. So kind of ele- elevating it, making it bigger and broader and really kind of putting it in the realm that we would historically call accessories, which is often where watches kind of live in the mind, uh, is important to me. And, and so that, you know, I think when we think about the business of the James brand, you know, we are in the category building business first and foremost. And, you know, the, the downside of that is that, you know, I, I do feel like we sort of are breaking trail here and it makes it easy for other people to see kind of what we're doing and replicate parts of the formula uh, and kind of follow along. And, you know, it's, it takes a lot more time and money to, to lead in this space. But I think the benefit of that is that as more people enter, we are just all legitimizing uh, the category and what it is and sort of making that separation from what was kind of the historic pocket knife world. Um, so I think it's good that other people are doing that. And, you know, again, metric of success for me is like, hey, did we really sort of define or redefine this category in a bigger way and make it uh, clear and approachable and interesting to a much bigger uh, audience than we might have before? Right. Uh, funny enough, just quick side note, uh, you know, because I know Richard and Huckberry and I've had him on the, the podcast, too. And. Funny enough, they use the sort of same approach as you. I, I don't know. I don't remember the name, though. They don't call him James, but they have a guy. And basically, they do the same. They say when they think about products and what to bring in and what to launch, they say, well, would this work for James or whoever it is? So it's very interesting that you guys both have the, the same approach to that. Um, this is a this sort of dovetails nicely in the next question, which is about customers, right? So you are, you know, you're trailblazing a category, a category now that is, you know, become much more relevant for just about everybody. So, so how do you focus and find new customers uh, you can't, you know, you can't spend everywhere, right. Or you can't be everywhere. So, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you grow and how do you find the right customers and narrow it down to the, to the best ones versus the sort of outer layers? Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think I, it's a, it's a, it's a really important question. And it's a question we think about a lot. And, um, you know, part of that, like anytime you start talking about customers and growth these days, you have to talk about the shifting world of marketing and media and how different it is than it was a long time ago. Um, and so it, it is really difficult a lot more difficult than it used to be in the early Burton days or even the Nike days where it's like, there are magazines, you want the inside front cover, you need to get these 10 athletes and they need to do well in these contests. And if you're doing that, then you are winning the marketing game. And it's really just like what you needed to do was very straightforward. I think and it was hard, hard to do, but easy to know what to do. Yeah. Cause the choices uh, were day, limited in some ways. Right. Cause I started in the magazine too. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Very, right. And so you get customers that were fighting for the inside front cover, you know, oh, yeah. of, of time, like, you know, people that like, that's the spot they needed. How do I get myself? How do we get this person on the cover of time? Like those were like, that was the game you were, that people were playing. And, you know, you were one of a fairly limited number of really important media partners. Yeah. And so that has been fractured and, and, you know, like it just, there are thousands and thousands of small media channels now all over the place. And so trying to find out, you know, who the right media channels are, who their customers are, who your customers are, uh, you know, I think those things are all uh, interrelated. So it's the, the conversation about customers is uh, and, and marketing to those customers is a really challenging one for, for us and for a lot of people. That said, you know, a couple of things that we know are important to us um, as we continue to do this, you know, we, we need to balance our offering with things that are less knifey, you know, less sharp all the time. And, you know, we sell some pens and some other things you know, we, we really see ourselves existing in three categories right now, uh, you know, the knife and tool category, the communication category, which we call it, you know, pens, pencils, notebooks, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then carry goods, which right now we make carabiners, but you know, that could mean, you know, money clips, wallets, like what are the other things that are in your pockets? You know, we really do kind of have a pocket framing, like we're interested in pockets. That's yeah. where our products should live. So balancing out the current sort of sharpness and even the, the bigness of our current line with things that are potentially more approachable and less sharp is going to be really important for our growth. Um, We've got some really great sort of data points around that in that, you know, we've done two collaborations with Timex so far and both of those were wildly successful. And it's a, it's a really interesting test because suddenly you've got, you know, our name, the name of this small pocket knife or everyday carry company on the face of this fairly expensive uh, Timex watch. And so it's a question of like, could you sell those, you know, and who's buying those? And uh, in both iterations of that, you know, they sold out within minutes. And, you know, that's a really good proof point that people are interested in getting things from the brand that are potentially you know, broader in appeal than some of the pocket knife things that we make. Um, you know, our introduction of the Palmer last fall which you know one of our major releases for last fall was sort of our take on the classic utility knife with this product called the palmer and we were very interested in the utility knife because it, it really lived in this interesting space of being an item in the classic like the nerdy everyday carry realm there were like titanium you know uh utility knife solutions that go on keychains and there, there's a whole realm of kind of these high-end machined small uh, utility knives. And then there's the other side of utility knives, which is plastic, disposable in every utility drawer and toolbox from you know here to Tallahassee. Right. Uh, and so it's a product that had legitimate uh, earned space in the everyday carry community and also broad appeal, i.e. I, people that would never carry you know, a big expensive pocket knife from us like the Barnes, for example, would absolutely you know, carry, buy, use the Palmer from us. Because while it's a sharp product, a utility knife lives in a very different space in most people's brains than uh, a big pocket knife might. Yep. So getting getting a little bit less sharp and a little bit less knifey, uh, I think is going to be important to us. Rounding out the 
three category offering. So it's really clear that we are not just some designer knife brand, but we are actually this sort of multi-category uh, lifestyle brand with products in multiple areas that are intersecting and overlapping and coordinated and all serve together as a bit of a system for both, you know, representing your values and also being utilitarian to enable your awesome James inspired life. I think those things are going to be really important for us. And I think we'll open the door to lots of other people that are, that can be everyday carry customers and who like the modern minimal aesthetic, but who may not, you just may not be pocket knife people. I think that's, we're limiting ourselves a little bit in, uh, in what we're doing right now. I think the other thing that's important for us and, and, you know, it it should have been obvious a lot longer ago, but to me, I didn't think about it a whole lot until recently, but you know, if you look at our business, it is we're we're a gifting business. We get really busy in May for Father's Day, dads and grads, wedding season, and then things get pretty quiet, and then we get really 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 busy in November and December. And you know, there're days in the, you know, the Black Friday holiday windows that can be bigger than months sometimes. You know, sure. it gets it gets very uh, focused in that commercial time frame, and so knowing that we're in the gifting business uh, is important because, in reality, you know, a couple of truisms about a lot of our customers. One is that it's very possible, although we don't know this for a fact, that the majority of our customers may well be women. Um, oh wow! And I say that because it's often women who find the James brand and say, my husband will love this. My boyfriend will love this. My dad will love this. My son will love this. So women find the James brand and then buy it for their significant others. Um, And so the end recipient of the product may well be male. And I do think the end user of, you know, probably 98% of our products are, are men right now. But I think, you know, it's very possible that the majority or half of our actual buying customers are women who buy for male significant others during holiday periods of time. And so like that, you know, to us, that should have been more obvious and clear a long time ago, but I honestly didn't really start thinking about it that way until like the last year. And so if you really frame that as like, Hey, these are your customers. What things do they need to, to be able to find your products, to figure out what to buy for other people? Uh, and so that is, you know, that's part of our, our, our mix and plan is to make sure that cool women can find our cool products for their cool male, uh, you know, folks in their life. Yeah. Um, that's the, I, yeah the, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, so, so that's... So you touched on this a little bit, but, um, you know, as you think about uh, new products and, you know, I, I have this term here, share of pocket, which I'm sure you've come up with many, many, you've probably thought of that many times before. But this idea that when you think about products to launch, um, you know, the idea is that there's limited space in a pocket. And if you want to own most of someone's pocket, you know, that has to be part of it. But what are some of the other things you have to think about and what's the process you go through to decide to launch new products? Um you know, we, we think about our customers in sort of three, kind of three types. There are sort of outdoor customers, which is kind of like the Huckberry customer in some ways, Mm -hmm. you know, Oh, sorry. Who is, uh, 
you know, like kind of living in the city, but the sort of longing to go. There are more sort of like the urban creative customers who are maybe like us, you know, living in the city, working in corporate jobs that really like good analog products that are sort of a reflection of their values, like a la the, you know, the kind of the watch market. Um, and then there's kind of this group of people that we call sort of traditionalists who like um, maybe more modern interpretations of traditional like heritage things like the Danner boot customer, uh, the Pendleton flannel customer. Uh, and, and so these people, you know, like, like the versions of pocket knives that we do that are clearly referential to you know, things from the past, but done in our modern and minimal way. Um, so we think about like, you know, looking at those groups of people and what's happening, like where are, where are the existing holes? Um, and, you know, like what, what things would come out of their pocket for us to go in there? I mean, the working with pockets as a frame of reference is interesting because, and, and I think we're really clear on this, what goes in your pocket is an editorial process. I, I, you have to make hard decisions about what's in and what's out. The space is limited and you do literally have to carry it around every day. So we have to think about displacing products that may be in there uh, from other people or even yeah. our own products. Yeah, that's you right. We have to take this product out and put this product in. And so we think about it sort of in that way a lot. Like, like okay, well, you know, this pen and pocket knife could go in here, but not another pocket knife, but they do have a wallet in there. Should we replace that wallet with a money clip? Now all three of them are titanium and come from one brand. That makes a lot of sense. Let's look at that and, uh, and try that. Um, so we do kind of use like these, you know, the James brand as a, or James as a muse, James kind of as this customer in these three different customer silos. And then we literally think about their pockets and like what things they may be doing. Um, you know, we clearly don't just make things for, for pockets. We make, you know, a fixed blade knife that doesn't go in your pocket. And we do some other things to, you know, enable the lifestyle of our customers. Um, but I, you know, our, our primary area of focus is really about, you know, our, our mission is to like own the pocket of these people who we consider our customers. And uh, so that is a lot of how we think about it. Um, and then there's always this, this interesting exercise you're going through this mix of, um, you know, how do you take things that are core or, um, you know, foundational parts of the line right now that we want to keep forever, but keep evolving them? All of the 911, you know, the Porsche 911. It's still a 911 today. Um, it it's a really interesting mix of being exactly the same and wildly different than it was, you know, 40 years ago or right. whatever. Right. Uh, and so there are things that are in our line that we hope will be there forever, but you have to keep evolving them. The chapter, the Carter, the Pike, the Melville. Like there's a handful of things that are kind of foundational core styles for us, uh, but we want to keep evolving them, but not give up too much of where they came from and then at the same time what things are we going to do that are totally new that we haven't done before that are you know going to be totally like new additions yeah uh, i mean I, I i do always hope that we keep our line fairly tight and so ideally when, and we don't always do this and it's hard to do it but when we bring things in i would like other things to go out like i i really one of the things that i think we were really kicking against in the early days was this idea that, um, you know, if you went and got like the Spyderco, you know, knife company out of Colorado, really great knife company, if you got their catalog, 
It was literally like an inch and a half thick. I mean, it contained thousands and thousands of SKUs. And it would be impossible to figure out like what thing was right uh, for you, like which thing you should get um, versus, you know, like a good bartender can get you to the right drink with three questions. Yeah, um, that's right. And, and, and I really like, you know, for people that are new to this category, I really wanted to make it easy to shop. And I, I think we still, I don't think we're doing that yet, but I really wanted to, to, to kind of be able to work with people and be like, what kind of person are you? Where do you live, work and play? What are you into? How much do you already know? And with the answer to a few of those questions, I can be like, hey, this is probably what you should be getting. And these are the other products that pair up with that pretty nicely. You know, this idea of coordinating cross-categorically is really important yeah. for us. And again, I think we still have a lot. I don't think we're living up to our vision there quite yet. Um, but I hope that we do. I mean, I think that's a, a really important part of this going forward for us is, is uh, to do a better job of that. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense, and also sort of plays back to, you know, you you guys have founded your company on the idea of being simple and minimal, and minimal, right? So you you have to think about yes. that too. You don't want to be a company that offers too many choices because that kind of goes against your ethos. Um, it, it does, and it's so easy. I mean, and it's you know, it's funny because you can talk about this, um, you know, across the board here, but it's it's so easy to just end up with all of this skew creep. Um, yeah. You know, it's just it's very, very easy to have these great intentions, but like, you know, here comes another season. We need some more stuff. Here comes another season. And I remember, you know, and again, this is good Nike stuff. Like everyone, you've got two weeks to now eliminate 50% of your SKUs. Come back and tell us how you're going to do that. Uh, and I really, at the time, on the you know, being kind of on the receiving end of that, I was very frustrated by it. <laughs> yeah. But I absolutely uh, understand it and respect it now. And I think I really want to make sure we apply that same discipline as we grow. I mean, I think it would be a failure for us to have people, you know, unable to navigate the site and kind of figure out what's going on or what we're making or sort of where they should be in that world. You know, I just think that would be, that would be the wrong way to do this. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so uh, a couple more questions. One of them, um, I'm like a big fan of trial and error and the value of failure, right? Your best lessons come from failure. So what are some examples? Yes. Of the, what are some examples of things that you've tried at the James brand that initially failed and maybe morphed into something else? Or maybe they just failed and, and you learned from it? I mean, a couple, couple things. I mean, we, we tried this really innovative sort of lock solution that we were working on that really that had never been done before that we sort of invented it or, or not, maybe not invented it, but had sort of put a, a new twist on it to make it work in a way that was different from anybody else's way of doing it. And um, there was, there was sort of a problem in the way that it worked that we totally just sort of missed in our evaluation of it. And it really took working with some people that were kind of like, more expert users than we were to figure it out um but we'd already put it into the market and it, we only made a, it it was a kind of a limited edition thing i can't remember how many we made but it was like hundreds but we had to go get them back we actually had to like call people and go get them back oh, and wow. replace them um and so you know that is really like if, if you're working on the brand building side of things you know that's a big black eye that's a a, a really bad thing to do and sure. uh we knew better. I mean, we, you know, I think we, we, 
a lot of us have had experience in the professional realm of bringing products to market and we were rushing and, you know, that was a, a total failure and it left us, it left us with scars. And um, so, you know, there's kind of the concept of like moving fast to move slow or yeah. you know, pardon me, like moving slow to move fast. And so I think that's, that was an example of us moving too fast, rushing to try to hit some deadlines and shortchanging the process and then um, having to pay for that. Yeah. And so that was, that was a time that we had absolutely failed. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, those things always, always hurt. All right, Ryan, one other question I had for you was about growth. Do you have an idea? basically how big you want James brand to become? Um, are there like certain points during that growth? Do you have to stop and think to yourself, do we want to go to the next level? Like what will it take? Uh, very interesting to hear that from you. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, the, the first answer I guess is no, I, I don't really have, you know, sort of an idea or a target of like how big it should be or shouldn't be. Um, I kind of like the idea that the market will decide and, you know, if we're doing the right things, it gets, it gets big and it sort of happens along a particular trajectory. And, um, you know, if, if we aren't doing the right things, it stays smaller and we adjust accordingly. Um, you know, I don't, I, I think the, the plan for the James brand always was kind of this, and I think we're doing this, like kind of this long, slow burn, you know, we didn't, we've been around for you know 11 years now. Um, and, you know, we haven't like gone out and sold the company or, uh, raised a ton of money or done, you know, we haven't made a lot of efforts to grow really big, really fast. Right. Um, always wanted to do it in a way that felt controlled and scalable. Um, you know, for us, we are really committed to this idea that we operate in three categories, you know, this knife and tool category, this communication category of pens, pencils, notebooks, and this this category of carry, which, you know, money clips, carabiners, you know, other things that help you carry other stuff. And sort of the feeling is that <clears throat> within, you know, each one of those categories could be a really large, you know, business on its own. I mean, there are lots of, you know, $100 million plus companies in, in each of those categories. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we kind of feel like, hey, there's, you know, for as long as I can see in the future, uh, we can stay really committed to that sort of three category strategy and continue to stay committed to the the idea of daily carry. Um, and growth will sort of take care of itself, I guess. Um, you know, that said, the, the knife section of the business, which is our foundation, our most important segment, you know, kind of the core of what we do is a really difficult uh, area to get growth in. Um, right. Because it's a, you know, it's a dangerous goods from the perspective of social media companies and other things. And so a lot of the traditional marketing tools that you might use to promote other things you can't use in that category. And I think in general, and while it's, I think important, the uh, segment of people out in the world across everywhere that actually, you know, have used and carry a pocket knife on a daily basis is actually pretty small. And, you know, part of our mission is to make that a larger because we feel like these products can actually be supremely useful in a whole lot of, uh, 
you know, a whole lot of environments. Yep. But it's always going to be, it's always going to be somewhat small. And so I think having these other categories allows us to kind of reach the potential of the idea of the James brand, um, you know, without, you know, without being limited in the same way that we're limited with the knife and tool category. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Right. Um, right. The, the little bit of diversification, just a uh, diversification, sorry. And, and just a chance to, um, you know, just try to try to do real good work in those three divisions and then sort of see where it goes, uh, kind of head down. I yeah. love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we have some really interesting, you know, there's interesting data points to help us support that. And, you know, when we've done, we've done, you know, these two different collaborations with Timex and, you know, and so that ends up with us making a watch, a Timex watch with our name on it and with the Clovis mark on it. And those days are really big days for us. We, we have sold a lot of those. And it shows that there's more sort, you know, there's more legs in the brand than just um, the the knife side of things. And yes. so, you know, when we've done that and we've done these collaborative projects that kind of push us a little bit outside of our normal comfort zone, we've gotten some pretty good results. And so we're using that as uh, those are data points for us that give us some confidence to push on the boundaries a little bit, but not too far. I mean, I do think, you know, my, my number one, one of my number one concerns about the brand is just getting spread too thin right. um, and making all kinds of stuff. And so I really want us to stay sort of hard committed to those three categories for the foreseeable future uh, until we feel like there's some other need to to go further. But I think, you know, for a decade or more, if we just really did what we needed to do in those three categories, kind of working collectively together across all three of those categories, we should be growth should be fine, I think. That's great. That's good. Um, all right. So, so uh, next question, uh, talk to me about what it's like to be an owner. Um, you know, I know what it's like on my end, but what's it like for you? What are your key responsibilities? Uh, like how do you tackle them? What do you love about your job? What are the things you kind of have to tackle each day that might be a bit of a drag? Uh, give us some insight into what it's like. Well, I mean, a couple of things that are like important learnings for, for people, like, you know, being an owner or being a founder, like that is not a functional role. It doesn't mean anything really on the daily operation of the business. I, I do have functional roles kind of as the chief marketing person, kind of as the you know chief creative person working across product and brand. And there are very specific things that I have to do in those functions. But, um, you know, as an owner, you know, my, my responsibilities are really limited to making sure that the company is financially doing what it needs to do and that we're in compliance. And, uh, you know, I guess the maybe the bigger part of that is like making sure that the corporate culture is the way that it should be and that, you know, employees are treated well and happy and that we are, you know, doing what we should do from, from that perspective. Um, you know, it was really interesting during COVID times. I mean, you know, on this long, slow burn that we've been talking about, all of the inertia has always been in the positive direction, i.e. every year you sell more, do more, there's more money, everything's going, you know, sort of up and to the right on the yeah. charts and graphs. Yeah. And then COVID showed up and then suddenly one day, and I think it was like this same day for everyone in the world of e-commerce, everything just stopped. Like the tap just stopped. Yeah. Um, and it stopped for a few days. Um, and, you know, starting that next morning, I remember getting up at 5 a.m. to have a conversation with Mike, my partner, to figure out, like, what are we going to do? And it was definitely, it was a batten down the hatches 
conversation. And, you know, in the course of a, a really short period of time, you know, we, uh, we were going to furlough some people. We were going to end a bunch of contracts. We were all going to take pay cuts. Um, and so we decided that stuff and started to execute on it in literally just a day or two. And we just, wow. we were like, we a very, a very real sense of like, we need to move here now. We can't have our heads in the sand. We need to be proactive about this. This is going to get bad. And so that was the first time in my, you know, in the, in my James brand history, where something sort of like really negative happened and we had to have these really hard conversations with vendors who had been partners for long times and with employees and, you know, even with my own family about like, Hey, I'm going to make less money now for yeah. a while. Right. Long. Um, and that was, you know, that was a, a bit of a wake up call because I just hadn't really thought about anything going bad ever. Yeah. <laughs> I just always either. thought about everything yeah. going 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 well and then suddenly you realize that the work that we're doing you know it pays people's mortgages and healthcare and enables their lives and uh, you know surely all of our employees and partners are great and can always get other jobs but in those moments you really understand how responsible you are to make this thing perform so that you can take care of these people i mean there's a real sense of doing your best to take care of these people. And, and I, there is, you know, sort of a belief that if you take care of the people, they will take care of the business. You hire really good people, you help them, enable them, give them what they need, take care of them, and they will take care of the business for you. Um, so when that you know, equation starts to get out of balance in some way, it starts to really feel strange. And so that was a real wake-up call for me. And, you know, I, I don't know that it's changed a lot of what I do, but I just, I take... I think I respect our employees and partners more uh, and want to make sure that we're just always doing uh, as right by them as we can do. Um, yeah, I, lo I love uh, um, I love this idea. You take care of the people that work for you and they take care of uh, the business. And I think that that's just a really good thing. I, I, in some ways, we were the same way. Obviously, we were on the other side of this when that happened. And we were small and nimble enough that we can make some changes pretty quickly. We didn't have to get rid of people. But to your point, you know, the, the comfort in the people that you do have and the fact that you're able to take care of them during that time is really great. So that's a pretty cool part about being a founder and an owner, too, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the flip side of that story, too, is that, you know, we things got went from sort of bad to good to really good in a hurry in that we got sort of that outdoor e-commerce bump that everybody got during that period of time. Right. And so within a couple of weeks, things were back and better than ever. And so, you know, in a, in a much shorter period of time than we expected, we brought back the people who were on furlough and we restored our salaries and literally went back and rehired our agency partners. Um, oh, that's and awesome. So I think. Our conservative nature allowed us to to actually, you know, get all of that stuff back and get it back in a far, far shorter period of time than we expected. But and I, and I really credit Mike for being proactive on this. We just we did not want to get caught with our pants pants down. We knew that something big was happening and we wanted to be proactive. And really, um, it was kind of the first time for us to exercise and sort of learn what it meant to like batten down the hatches. What is that going to look like and feel like for us? Yeah. Um, but it turned out to work out really well for everybody, which is good. Yeah, that's great. That's great. All right. Last question, Ryan. Uh, how long have you lived in Portland? And uh, is there any strategic advantage to you living there for the company? So I've been here 20 years now. Wow. Um, and, you know, 
Portland, uh, you know, I don't know that there could be the James brand without Portland and that part of the original vision uh, of doing this here was this understanding that Portland is really knife town USA, uh, meaning so many of the in the world of knives, so many of the competitors are here. Benchmade, Leatherman, Kershaw, wow. Columbia River Knife and Tool, wow. um, William and Henry, and I'm, I'm missing, you know, many Gerber. <laughs> I mean, the list goes on and on, but the majority of that, uh, a lot of that business in the US is here in Portland. And I was always kind of aware of that. I'd been on like the Leatherman tour. I had been to the Benchmade, you know, showroom. And I always thought it was really interesting. And, and the original vision for the James brand was that, hey, like all of these other folks, we'll make everything right here in Portland, in Knifetown, USN. And we spent about two years really trying to do that. But it was sort of a, a bit of an impossibility for a small startup to do because there were a lot of subcontractors and people that we could work with to help do that, but they were all completely booked um, working on this stuff for all the big guys. Oh, wow. So especially in the early days when you show up and say, hey, I've got this new idea that's not going to be the easiest to make and I want to make 50 of them. Can you help us out? They're like, you know, respectfully, no. Yeah, <laughs> right. can't. Right. Uh, so that's part of it is like, you know, Portland is Knifetown USA. And that you know, part of the idea came from me living here and knowing that it was Knifetown USA and, and seeing that there were a lot of people carrying knives around in this town because, you know, Portland is one of those interesting places that really has this urban outdoor smash up, like, you know, a lot of places in Colorado and, you know, a lot of, you know, Utah and other places. And so, I think there are a lot of people in Portland that really kind of fit our demographic of like, you know, live in the city, long for adventure on the weekends, lots and lots of weekend warriors here, you know, lots of four wheel drive Subarus. And, um, <laughs> and so you saw a lot of the product in town and you saw people that were kind of doing sort of what our customers do. You know, they often work in an office during the week, but they try to be active and try to get out and do things that they're passionate about on the weekends. So that was part of it. I mean, part of the inspiration, we just saw a lot of that. And then I think the third thing is that, you know, Portland is very much a creative city. I mean, it's a design hub of the U.S. I think it's sort of well known for that. And so there's a lot of creative energy and creative people, creative agencies, uh, lots of good folks to work with. And, you know, we are sort of design led and oriented. And uh, there are a lot of people to sort of help us out here with that. So uh, our ability to sort of recruit talent from the design world, also from the you know knife and tool world too, I think is really important. Um, and there is just this hub of outdoor brands here too. You know, I mean, from you know, Nike, Columbia, right. uh, Under Armour is here, Keen Footwear. You know, there's a whole world of like apparel and footwear and sort of outdoor stuff here. And so that gives us access to a lot of people and talent and things too. Adidas, Solomon, I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, so those are some of the reasons that, you know, Portland and the James brand are uh, so deeply connected. That's amazing. I had no idea uh, that it was such a hub for so many great companies. So totally can understand. You can just draw a lot of inspiration from that. Um, 
So that's great. Ryan, this was a great um, hour plus that I got to spend with you and learn all about the James brand. And I'm so happy I was able to finally do it. And uh, as I said, I'm a big fan of the brand and uh, just tremendous to learn about so much from, from you about uh, you know how it's grown and, and what you're looking to do. So very excited to see what happens in the future. Obviously, we appreciate all your support uh, that you've given us all over this time and um, really appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, sure, Sean. Thanks. It's really nice to talk to you. It's always fun to talk about this stuff because it makes you sort of uh, think about it and be a little yeah. bit retrospective about it and kind of go through the the mental exercise of how did we get here and where are we going next? So yeah. uh, we always love working together. I, I appreciate you uh, listening to me ramble on and uh, looking forward to working together on stuff in the future. Thanks for listening to Strange Currencies. This podcast is for entertainment only. Any advice should be taken with caution. Except chocolate. Uncle Sean is right about that. You should eat some every day. Hosted by Sean Ryan and sponsored by Rotary Digital. Music, mix and mastering done by MKG Marketing. Next episode to drop next week. Be sure to subscribe, like and share wherever you podcast. <laughs>